Y'all can be seated. Hey, you know, it's okay to clap and have a good time in the house of the Lord because it's not the story of the one who died. It's the story of the one who rose again and is alive. And we can have joy in our heart because of what Christ has done for us and is doing through us. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 21. John 21, we are in a new series that we began last week called 40 Days. 40 Days, where we are looking at some of the stories that took place between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension when Jesus turned the world upside down and he launched the ministry of the church. And we're going to be looking at some of the stories that took place when Jesus appeared uh, during those days. And we'll also be looking at the mission of the church, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and what that means. Because often we stop the Easter story at the resurrection and we don't talk about how meaningful the ascension is and also the second coming of Christ. Today we look at one of my favorite stories in all the scripture. When we arrive at John chapter 21, some of the disciples had been up all night and they were frustrated, they were confused, they were anxious. Anybody bring those emotions to church with you today? A little frustrated, a little confused, a little anxious. And so the story begins in John 21 and verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing. I said fishing, didn't I? I'm going fishing. Simon Peter said to them, Simon Peter's from Texas, right? Uh, We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night, night, they caught nothing. Now these disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. For many of them, fishing was not just a hobby. It had been their job. It had been their career. When Jesus, three years earlier, had called them to leave their nets and follow him to become fishers of men, they turned in their resignation. And what a ride it had been. These disciples, knowing danger, had followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Think about all that they witnessed just in the couple weeks before this passage. They had been there at the triumphant entry. They had been there whenever Jesus went into the temple and he cleansed the temple from the money changers. They had heard Jesus' promises of the kingdom. They had experienced the pain of a trusted friend who had betrayed Jesus. They had also been there at the Garden of Gethsemane when almost all of them got arrested. And then this had been followed by the torturous trial. They had seen Jesus, the one that they had followed and given everything for, crucified and killed. They had experienced the massive earthquake, the resurrection, and the appearances of the Lord Jesus. Quick question for you. Who was it that betrayed Jesus? There were two disciples that betrayed Jesus. Judas and Peter. Judas had sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. It was a complete betrayal, and it led to Judas' life melting down. He wound up dying in a tragic way, and the story of Judas ends with his betrayal. 
Peter, too, had denied Jesus in a different way. He had denied Jesus with apathy in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, I I need you to come and watch and pray. But instead of watching and pray, Peter fell asleep over and over again. He had denied Jesus when he pulled out his sword and he tried to instigate the revolution by cutting off the ear of one of the soldiers. He had denied Jesus with his words when people asked him, are you his disciple? He had denied Jesus on three different occasions with his words during Jesus' most critical time. And so I think the Apostle Peter, when we come to John chapter 21, was dealing with shame. You ever dealt with shame? Shame occurs whenever we feel unlovable or rejected because of who we are or because of something that we've done. And so we feel shame because we feel as if we're on the outside looking in. We are now kind of excluded, if you will. Now, a lot of times, whenever we feel shame, we run to our comfort zones. What are your comfort zones for shame? A gallon of Rocky Road ice cream? (laughs) A Netflix binge? Amazon spending spree? What is your comfort zone? Peter the way that he would numb his emotions, the way that he would try to deal with everything that he was facing, was to go fishing. And for most of his life, fishing was life. Three years earlier, same lake, probably the same boat, much of the same group of guys, Jesus had called them to be fishers of men. But what now? So much had happened. So much had changed. Everything had changed. The world was different. It was as if everything had been turned upside down. And so I think Peter thought, well, maybe, maybe it's time to get the old gang back together. Maybe it's time to crank up the fishing business once again. Have you ever noticed this? How much better the past looks once it's over? It's like, man, when you're going through it, it's like, man, this is awful. Once it's in the rearview mirror, it's like, oh, those were the good days, weren't they? But now, make sure you take note of this, this uh, next quote up here. Now go ahead and forward it one if you can. Trying to recapture what was will blind you from the beauty of what is. Trying to recapture what was will blind you from the beauty of what is right in front of you. But I suppose there was nothing wrong with Peter going fishing. And, um, you know, he had some new lures to try out. (laughs) Nothing wrong with going fishing. But after a long night of fishing, they had nothing to show for it. And the sun was beginning to rise. And so we pick up the story in verse 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look with me there to verse 4. When daybreak came... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. (laughs) Do you know anybody who's a proud fisherman? The guys met at Whataburger on Friday night for a little men's get-together, and they were talking fishing. I won't 
tell the exact person who told this story, but he might confess at some point. Uh, his initials are Mike Pope. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so he was telling about a recent fishing trip, and he had three different fishing rods going. And he, he got frustrated because he wasn't fishing anything, so he tried to throw one of his poles in the pond. And his pole got stuck in a tree. He's like, I can't even throw my pole in the pond. Talk about frustration. So the last thing that you want to hear when you've been fishing all night and you're good at it is somebody standing on the shore. And if you really dive down into the uh, language here, uh, he almost, Jesus is saying, hey, boys. I think the King James translates it, children. Hey, hey, boys. You don't have any fish, do you? In verse 5, you've got to get the context. No, we don't have any fish. So in verse 6, Jesus says, well, cast the net on the right side of your boat, and you'll find some. And so they did. And they were unable to haul in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John in scriptures. Whenever, that's how John referred to himself within his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So the disciple, the one Jesus, I know, it's kind of an unusual thing. I'm the one that Jesus loved. I'm his favorite. Uh, yeah, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired it, so we'll go with it, right? Yeah, so he says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, there was a critical moment there where the disciples had to decide, am I going to follow this person's leadership or not? But at the same time, the disciples had nothing to lose. I mean, zero times zero is still zero, so... They cast the net on the other side. Now, it's really cool if, if you put together this scene with the Luke 5 scene because Jesus created a flashback scene. In Luke 5, he had borrowed two of Peter's fishing boats for an impromptu sermon. They would go out in the water and they would preach from the boat because the water would become like a biblical sound system. So the voice would amplify off the, off the water. And just as in John 21... Peter and the boys had fished all night and caught nothing, and Jesus told them, cast your net on the other side. And then after this event took place, uh, this is when Jesus called them to be fishers of men and follow him. Well, if you go back to that flashback moment, Peter came before Jesus and he fell on his knees, and he said, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. I think perhaps... That was the Apostle Peter's conversion moment. And Jesus says to him, no. Get up. I want you to follow me because I'm calling you to a new life. I'm calling you to begin again. Do you realize this? When you fall before the Lord on your knees, he doesn't push you away in shame. Instead, he embraces you in love. He cleanses your past, he heals your soul, and he calls you to begin again. And when Simon came before Jesus and fell on his knees and said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, he said, no, follow me. I'm going to make much of your life. Well, we continue in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he, he, uh, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish. I love the Apostle Peter in Scripture. He's one of those guys that was often wrong, but never in doubt. He would speak first and figure out what the consequences were later. And so uh, not his most thoughtful moment because he left everybody else with the fish, but he cannonballs right into the lake, starts swimming to Jesus, grabs his clothes, leaves all the other disciples by themselves. There were a lot of confusing things going on in Peter's life, and he didn't have all the answers. He had made some massive mistakes, but one thing he knew, the answers were not in the boat, the answers were with Jesus. And so he got out of the boat once again. Remember when Jesus walked on the water? Who was it that got out of the boat? Peter. He gets out of the boat once again, leaves his nets, surrenders his pride, jumps in, and brings himself to Jesus. And so when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said to them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore. Now, I love it how Simon left the other disciples with the fish, and then he, like, gets the net. Here we go, Jesus. Here's, here's all the fish that we caught. He's now taking credit, isn't he? Anyway, but he brings the net, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. That was another miracle in the story. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Anybody have cereal? Bagel? Oatmeal, protein bar. Yeah, I had a protein bar, then I had a bagel, and then I realized the bagel wasn't good after a couple, couple bites. It's never fun. Anyway, you didn't need to know that. <laughs> Just for the record, by the way, the Lord cooked with charcoal and not gas. Just for the record, right there. Okay. And then also, you'll notice that he enjoyed fish and chips for breakfast. Okay, so perhaps it's time to quit eating donuts and starting fish tacos. That's the real breakfast of champions. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to eat fish for, for, uh, <laughs> for breakfast. We're going to start serving goldfish in the Life Cafe. Eat fish for breakfast. Okay, that's not an application you really need to make from this passage, but, you know, I thought it was fun. So, Jesus ate breakfast, served them breakfast. When it was over... It was now time for Jesus to really deal with the battle that was raging in Peter's heart. I said this last week, life follows the heart. Where you cast your affections is always seen in the actions of your life. Your life follows the heart. And Peter right now was battling. He was battling himself because he felt so unworthy. He was battling God. He was battling his sin and what he had done. I mean, what he had done was bad. So in verse 15, the Bible says, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me 
more than these? I believe he was pointing to the fish. And here's the deal. The Apostle Peter was a leader. From the very beginning, Jesus had said, seen something in him. Simon, his Hebrew name, was indicative of impulsiveness. It's difficult to really dive into the full etymology of the word, but it has something to do with how the reed blows in the wind. And when Jesus met him, he said, Ah, Simon, I'm going to call you Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for the rock. In Greek, it's Petros, Peter. I'm going to make a man of you. I'm going to turn this individual that is impulsive, I'm going to turn you into a rock of a man. Peter had boasted that he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. He was the one that pulled the sword in the garden. He was the one that, when a lot of them ran for their lives, he followed from afar. But now he had denied even knowing Jesus. And so if you look at the story, just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, now Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Hey, Simon, son of John, do you remember the servant girl in the courtyard who asked you if you were my disciple and you said you were not? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you, you know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, he told him. Hey, Simon, do you remember when the other men were sitting around the fire and they asked you if you were my disciple and, and you said you were not? Hey, Simon, this morning I, I want to know something. Hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. Hey, hey, Peter, do you remember when the relative of the man whose ear you cut off recognized me as, 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 recognized you as my disciple and you cursed me and you denied even knowing me? Do you remember that? Let me ask you a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter, you have denied me three times, and now you have proclaimed your love for me three times. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully, Apostle Peter. I don't want you sitting in a boat all night. I don't want you wasting your life clothed in the regrets of the past. Peter, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you are clothed in grace and you are called to a new life in me. And Jesus says to Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. Your call is not to catch fish for the rest of your life. Your call is to feed my sheep. And Peter, I'm going to take you, I'm going to make a man out of you, and I'm going to build my church upon people who have faith just like you. For everyone who has ever messed up or been messed up, Peter's story is for you. There's one thing that I know that everybody in this room has, the commonality of sin. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has things from our past for which we need forgiveness. We have regrets. We've had people hurt us. We've had moments when the world fell apart. 
And for many of us, we live with this mindset that God can never use me. He can't forgive me. I'm stained. And I'm not sure how it happened in your life. Maybe it was a preacher who loved law more than grace. Maybe it was a theologian who limited the reach of of grace to the degree that it excluded you. Maybe it was a friend who didn't really believe or understand that anyone can change. Someone from your past who only loved you whenever you performed, and when you didn't perform, they rejected you. A world that has lied to you since the day you were born. But somewhere in your past, perhaps you embraced this lie, God could never love me. He doesn't want me. I'm on the outside looking in. May I remind you today of this man named Simon Peter who did the unthinkable, who betrayed our Lord in his hour of great need. And Peter's story doesn't end in shame. It ends in redemption. But he got back up, he rejected the lie, and he embraced the truth. And he found forgiveness and new beginning in Christ. Here's the truth. God loves you. He's never stopped loving you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Whenever you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, You are safe in his hands, you are secure in his love, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are secure in Christ because your salvation has been secured through the power of his blood. And there are times when we do things that we should not. And we don't need to rationalize those moments. We don't need to pretend that they never happen. Whenever we find ourselves having done things that we should not, we need to repent, turn from it, and like Peter, sincerely go to God and ask forgiveness. You say, well, what then? Well, then you get up and you start living again as a follower of Christ. What does God want from me, Lash? He wants you. He wants you to place your faith in Him. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to follow Him. And He wants to use your life and your story to advance His kingdom and to feed His sheep. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you today. But this might need to be a sacred moment between you and God right now. Perhaps there's something that has happened that has caused you to feel shame or perhaps even caused you to feel as though you could never be used by God again. Maybe there's something that's happened that You need to turn from, you you need to repent and ask forgiveness from God. I would invite you to call out to him right now. Ask forgiveness.
place your faith in Him. Envision yourself getting up off your knees. The hand of Jesus reaching out to you. Envision Jesus saying to you, come and follow me. Christ wants to use you. He wants to grow you. He wants to fill your heart with joy. And he wants you to know that in his grace you belong. There's a place at the table for you. You're secure in his love. You're his child. Father, I pray that you will heal hearts today. I pray, Father, that you will help us to find the security of grace that propels us into the insecurity of faith and allows us to take our lives and to go to places where we don't have control so that we might serve you and proclaim you to the ends of the earth. Help us, Father, to get beyond ourselves and allow the overflow of the Spirit within us to connect us to others and to connect us to your eternal purposes. May you grant forgiveness to the brokenhearted. Help us, Father, to experience your love and your grace in a very special way today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. If you want to remain at your seat and pray, you can continue praying. The band's going to lead us in worship. If there's anything I may pray with you about, I'm here at the front. Let's worship together, church. Sing from the depths of your soul.